This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We're in Romans chapter 8 again today. Romans 8, verse 35. Romans 8, 35. Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's been said that out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. And here in this final section of Romans chapter 8, Christians are described as more than conquerors. More than conquerors through Jesus Christ, through the one who loved us. And the Bible is beautifully consistent in calling God's people to see suffering in this life for what it is, a kind of preparation, a preparation for the life to come, a a means of progress and growth, not punishment and defeat. It's anything but that. We construe it that way and we think of it that way and we may speak of it in that way as something being punishing and we may feel defeated or defeatist from a human perspective. But the Bible is calling us to see it differently and to recognize it as actually for our own good and can be used for progress. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. He says, momentary light affliction, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It's a very emotionally moving portion of scripture to consider here in Romans chapter 8. When Paul says, what shall we say to these things in verse 31? And when he says these things in the context, he's he's talking about uh, the things that we've been studying over the past few weeks, the promise of justification in Christ, the the putting to death the deeds of the body as the believer finds justification as he or she does that in verse 6. Uh, the believer's adoption as a child of God, an heir of all things with Christ, as Paul describes in verse 17. In the context, again, the believer's participation in a creation that's been subjected to futility that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and all the present suffering that that entails, that this is a fallen world, it's wasting away, it's winding down, and eventually it's going to be burned up. And the promise of a faithful intercessor uh, that we talked about uh, last week, memory serves, that understands our groaning in prayer, even if we don't, even if we can't articulate what it is we need or what it is we think we need. And then finally, the promise of a God to use who uses all things to lead his church to ultimate victory and glory, as he determined from all eternity in verse 28. So these are the things that Paul says when he that he has in mind when he says in verse 31, what do we say to all this? And we get the conclusion that we that we just read that we are more than conquerors and nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so Paul gives us more reason to hope. He's offering uh, in verses 33 and 34 more promises and and more, uh, again, confidence for us when he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. And so Christians are declared righteous or justified through the sacrifice of of Jesus Christ, so long as they remain in Christ, as Paul is explaining in the context here, going back up to verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 8, that there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as one strives to put to death the deeds of the body and all the things that Paul has mentioned in the context, going back to chapter 6, striving uh, for obedience and obeying from the heart in verse 17 of that chapter, we find sanctification and justification in Jesus Christ. And John explains that as well in 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10. So Paul is, is reinforcing here at the end of this chapter, as we've divided up, as as men, I should say, have divided Romans chapter 8 into a, uh, these verses in, in this particular chapter. He's reinforcing that the first point here that he made in verse 1, that God justifies, and if he justifies, well, that settles it. Uh, men can say what they want. They can persecute all they want. They can cry foul all they want and do a number of different things to God's people. The enemy can flail and, and scream all he wants, but but ultimately God settles it. God is the one, verse 34, who justifies, who is the one who condemns. It's rhetorical. Um, Paul says it's if we are in Christ, again, there is no condemnation. And going back to that first John passage that I mentioned just a moment ago, verse verse nine of that text, really we need to read verses six through ten to get the fuller thought or, or verses one through ten. But John makes this statement that I think contributes to our discussion here and helps us understand what Paul is is talking about. That uh in first John one, when we are guilty of sin, because even God's people can sin and uh, be found guilty before him, right? John says in this very same context, if we say we have no sin, we lie and we delude ourselves. And he's speaking to Christians. But in verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, again, that is part of, as John describes in verse 6 of that chapter, of walking in the light as Jesus Christ is in the light, or as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8, putting to death the deeds of, of the body, turning away from sin and carnality and continually, uh, in spite of our failings, going to Christ and saying, I'm sorry, and asking for forgiveness and confessing our sins, that his sacrifice may continue to do its work in our lives and we can be blameless before God. But that is contingent, again, it's contingent upon us fulfilling our end of the covenant, so to speak. God will be true to his promise he will justify, but as we've seen previously in the book of Romans, going back to Abraham as an example in chapter 4, his justification kept pace with his faith. He was justified by faith, and so long as he was faithful, he could be justified. And the same is true for us. That's the point that Paul is making in that context. So no charge can or will stand, and no one can condemn us, can condemn, condemn Christians, because Jesus is living and interceding on our behalf, as Paul points out uh, in a number of texts, including this one, Romans 5.10 and Hebrews 7.25 uh, as well. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And there, the writer speaking again of, of Christians. And so, verse 35, we get this question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress and then things that Paul mentions here, uh, nakedness, peril, sword, and things like these. He says, none of these things has power in and of themselves to separate us from Christ. And, you you know, you just look at the book of Acts and the persecution that Paul and company suffered, Luke and Timothy, 
uh, being chased out of towns and stoned and threatened and imprisoned and all these kinds of things. Uh, and yet we find them in spite of those, in spite of that persecution, in spite of that, the hardship and, and the frustrating and even confusing circumstances that they would find themselves in, they stayed the course and the Holy Spirit preserved those examples for us, for, for our learning. And we see in places like Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas singing and praising God in the midst of a Philippian prison in, in, the, in the depths of the jail. And they're, and they're praying there and the other prisoners are, are listening to them because they had this confidence despite what was befalling them, despite that a mob had just drugged them through the marketplace and before civil authorities and now they are they are in jail and uncertain of what's what's to come they have such confidence that they're worshiping God still and praising praising him and so you know that's the same man who was inspired to write these words to us we have that example in recorded history we have this portion of scripture to encourage us that none of those things has power in and of themselves to separate us from Christ and we should not take them as a sign that we're doing something wrong. And in fact, it can be quite the opposite. In Philippians one twenty eight, Paul says, don't be afraid of the opposition because what they're doing, this is my paraphrase of Philippians one twenty eight, but in effect, Paul says, their opposition to you is a sign of destruction for them. And then he says, it's a sign of salvation for you, and that's from God. And so, the point is, is that as you're staying the course, expect opposition, and there is a sense in which we can take even encouragement from the fact that we're being opposed. Remember Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, uh, or maybe it's chapter 5, when they're being drugged out of the council once more, having been brought in and and castigated and charged and and told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They are flogged, and then on their way out, they are thanking God and they're thanking Christ for allowing them to suffer for him in this way because that was proof of their faith. So our our response to those things uh, can be just like that. And there's no reason that it can't be. We can, you know, if things, you know, thankfully we live in a country where we, we're so blessed and we have so much freedom and, uh, we, we, you know, for the most part, we're not afraid that someone's going to kick in the door and come and arrest us or threaten our lives or something like this. But, you know, this was the reality for Paul and company as in the ancient world, as he was moving about, he faced that kind of violent opposition. And yet their response, as we've seen in Saul, was confidence and and, and praising God. Uh, and so, you know, the, the thing is, how, how do we respond? Uh, you know, the key point that I want to make here is how do we respond to peril and famine and persecution or distress or frustrating circumstances and difficulties in life uh, because our response can certainly separate us from the love of Christ. You know, Paul uh, says as much here in the Roman letter in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 21, there will be those who fall away because of persecution and affliction that arises from the word, Jesus says, in the parable of the sower. That was one of the bad soils that he names there and talking about the word and teaching how the word acts in a person's life and bears fruit in a person's life. And he specifically says, because of the very things that we read about in in Acts, persecution and affliction that were brought on because of those men, uh, their faith, Paul's faith and Silas's faith and Timothy and all of the above, 
many will fall away. And, and many did, uh, like John Mark early on, who Paul was so frustrated with that he didn't want to take him in Acts chapter 13 on, on the next missionary journey, as it's called. Uh, Demas is another example. Paul says, having loved this present world has deserted me, as he writes in 2 Timothy. And so there there will be those who, because of their response to the pressures that the enemy imposes and persecution, will will fall away. Uh, but they don't have to. We don't have to, is the point. Those things don't have to separate us, and those things in and of themselves have no power over God's people, even if they are look so terrible and look uh, like the enemy is winning from a human perspective. You know, there were many... In Ephesus, take as another example, uh, Revelation 2 and verse 4, whom Jesus said had left their first love and they needed to repent. He says, therefore, remember where you have, from whence you have fallen and, and repent and do the things that you did at first. So for the sake of, of emphasis, Paul isn't saying that tribulation and persecutions won't affect my fellowship with Christ regardless of how I respond to them. That's not the point of all. Our response is key. But Paul's point is those things in and of themselves, as terrible as they may be, are temporary and they have no power and can ultimately ultimately lead to our growth and progress in Christ and furthering the cause of Christ. Remember the outcome in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas responded the right way to that persecution and they're praising God and, and they're singing. The prisoners heard them. And I'm convinced that the jailer did as well. And when the earthquake earthquake comes, there's a miraculous intervention, and God sends an earthquake, and the you know the doors fly open and the chains are unloosed, and and the jailer comes in, and he's about to kill himself, and Paul says, "Don't do any harm. We we're all here." And this moves the jailer to the point where he asks the question, "What what must I do, sirs? What must I do to be saved?" And they preach to the gospel to him, and he obeys and is baptized that very hour and has them over to his house. And so we see the, the effect that our response to persecution can have. So may we strive to follow that, that biblical pattern and consider it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance, as James teaches in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. So nothing will separate us from his love, no trial, no tribulation, no distress, no external thing. So if we find ourselves, if we find ourselves separated from God's love, as those brethren did in Ephesus, when Jesus says, you've, you've left me, you've left your first love. If we find ourselves in that situation, it's because we have chosen to remove ourselves from it. We've chosen to remove ourselves from it. Hebrews 3 and verse 12, we need to take that warning to heart where the writer says, take care, brethren lest there be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart. And he, make no mistake, is talking to Christians. That's why he says, brethren, don't let there be an evil, unbelieving heart in you. So even though we, things may get to a point where we're, you know, slaughtered, where we are um, just eat up with persecution, Paul says we can we can over overwhelmingly conquer. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul says in verse thirty one. So he's not asking literally, right? Again, it's it's record it's rhetorical. He he knows 
that there are many who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, Philippians 3.18. So the point is, is that no one can stand against God or his people with any lasting success. And, and I word it that way because, you know, we might perceive success on the opposition's part, but those, again, those victories, they're only perceived victories in the world against the persecuted and suffering church. They're, as Paul, as I mentioned earlier in Philippians one twenty eight, they're, they're in fact signs of the world's defeat and God's victory. So no one will ever have victory over Christ and his, his church, as he promised in Matthew 16. The gates of death and hell will not prevail against it. And Paul proves his point by saying, uh, showing us and reminding us the lengths to which God was willing to go to save his people. Romans 8.32 he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So God's love for the lost and for all of us runs deeper than we can fully understand, and that he he determined to save people from his wrath. And so determined was he to save them that he wouldn't even withhold his own son from brutal murder. He sacrificed him. He sacrificed him for us all while we were helpless and hostile as Paul stated previously in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. And so Paul is is calling us to consider those facts in this context. As he's asking, do you think that this God is going to refuse us all things? Do you think that this God is not going to follow through on his promises? And the answer is certainly he is. The one true God of heaven and earth eagerly seeks reconciliation with, with all people. 1 Timothy 2.4, he desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He is the merciful master, and he is forgiving and wants to forgive insurmountable debts that we could never work or pay off. He is a patient and loving father, as he's pictured in Luke 15, who runs to embrace his son and kiss and, and celebrate his son when he comes to his senses and is penitent and wants to wants to return. Jesus was so eager to forgive that he turned to the thief on the cross who once blasphemed him earlier in the day and told him that that day he would be with him in paradise when the thief asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom, when he recognized that Jesus was innocent and that he had been as a, as a thief, as well as the other man who was with Jesus, they had been justly condemned. But Jesus was innocent, and in fact, was who he said he was. So God is not only willing to forgive, he's eager to do so. But James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The moment we set out to seek him, he makes himself available. He He wants to be found, and he's gone to great lengths and suffered excruciatingly so that we can be free of guilt and have fellowship with him. so that we can be justified in His sight, be adopted into His family and have eternal life. Not, not merely eternal existence, but, but life. Life to be enjoyed, life free of pain, life free of suffering and sorrow, and glory forever. That's what God's people have to look forward to. And nothing, Paul says, nothing can separate us from that love of God in which he desires to give his people those things. And he quotes Psalm 44 
wherein the the author the holy spirit affirms god's faithfulness despite the present disaster and in the end praise that the lord will rise up and redeem his people according to his loving kindness so that psalm is pointing forward to the the church's destiny so there again is is another reminder that despite the world hating and persecuting the church the suffering is not punishment but it's a preparation for glory and god is ultimately going to perfect his people even through those things and that's by design he wants us to be made complete by by the the crucible of of suffering peter says it in this way in first peter chapter 1 that our faith is being tested as by fire just in the way that gold is and when gold is tested or proved by fire it it ultimately comes out purer and and more refined right so that the dross will will be melted away and and that's essentially what paul is saying here as well in verse 6 of first peter 1 he says in this as he's talking about tribulation and and persecution he says in this you greatly rejoice even though if now for a little while you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ it's it's all pointing forward to that final glory it's all preparation it's all for our good and for our progress but if we don't stay the course, then we can't share in that victory. As Paul says earlier in, in chapter 8, that if we would be glorified with Christ, we must suffer with him. So just as Jesus' apparent defeat in his, in his suffering, in his crucifixion, just as it looked like he was defeated when in fact he was victorious in, in, in fulfilling God's plan and then subsequently raised from the dead so it's true for his people as well you know here we don't look like much and we may look defeated and we may look like the scum of the earth from the world's perspective but ultimately it's a sign of victory and lasting peace and eternal life can only be found in christ he has the power to remove sin and only he can lead us in in triumph so be assured that the enemy is going to throw all kinds of wrenches into your life, just as he did with Job. That's Those are the angles that he, that he works to get people to forsake God. But the Bible is time and time again reminding us that if we are a child of God, we have overcome the world. We can be assured that his victory will be our victory. As Paul says in verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, and John says in 1 John 5, 4, that this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we put those texts together and we can see God's faithfulness to his promise and that he will come through. But at the same time in 1 John 5, we see our responsibility to have faith and to live accordingly. Verses 38 and 39, Paul says, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principality, Things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, because God is faithful. So that's a comforting promise. But its comfort is only to those who are, as Paul says in verse 1 of this chapter, in Christ Jesus. 
We may lose everything that we have, but if we are in Christ Jesus, he never departs. He is faithful and there is no condemnation in him and nothing will separate us from his love. Our friends can abandon us. Our families can disown us because of our faith. Life itself may leave us, but his love remains the same. Is that a promise you can take comfort in? You can only take comfort in it again if you have obeyed Jesus Christ. If you have obeyed his gospel. If you are in Christ. As Paul says again in, in verse 1. And the same writer Paul says in Galatians 3.27 that all those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed themselves with Christ. In other words, they're, they're the ones who are in, in him, in fellowship with him. And you can make a claim to every spiritual blessing that is to be found in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3, including these that we've been reading about. So would you not make that decision today? Appreciate you studying with me. And feel free to contact me if you'd like to discuss these things further at Leon Valley Church at gmail.com. Check out our website at leonvalleychurch.org where you can find more material uh, to study to aid you in, in your search, uh, searching of the scriptures and God's word. I'd love to hear from you. Again, thank you for tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.